uh, let's turn to the book of Acts. Uh, we'll begin in the book of Acts in chapter number four. And as I continue our series on Sunday nights, I, I love the fact that God uses people. And that's uh, really what I spoke to uh, the college students in the college on Friday was uh, just wanting to be used by God. Uh, my pastor asked me many years ago, uh, we sat at lunch and he said to me, he said, uh, Brother Keeley, you've been a pastor, you've been an assistant pastor, you've been a school administrator. He said, uh, you've done these things in ministry. He says, what do, you, what do you feel God wants you to do? And my answer to him is still the same answer I have to this very day, and that is I just want to serve God. I just want, to, want God to use my life. And I hope that is true of every one of us, that we just want God to use us. And if we'll make ourselves available, God will. And that, that is one of the most encouraging things that I could share with anyone. And I try to encourage those college students to just uh, be a person that God could use. And the, the individual we're going to look at tonight as we continue our series on God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things is a man like many of us, probably growing up, you might have had uh, maybe some nicknames. Sometimes people would call you various things based on your name. Now, my name is Dane, so what rhymes with Dane? Pain. You know, there was a lot of things people would call me growing up. Uh, you know, a lot of times people, I say my name, and I've probably said this here before, but people say, when I say Dane, they look at me because they're, it's such an unusual name, and they just stare at me, and I'll say, you know, like the big dog. And they'll go, oh, okay. And then some people will say, like the great name. And I'll say, well, you said that I didn't, you know. And, and so, you know, sometimes we, we have nicknames. Now, the individual we're looking at tonight is a man that, that was given a nickname, but the nickname that he was given was actually a very fitting name uh, for this individual because this man, as we'll look here in just a minute, was a man that was good at many things. He was a good leader. Uh, he was a loyal follower. He was a helper to many people. Uh, he was a man that had a sense about others. And I, sometimes you get around people like that. They, they kind of have a sense for others. Maybe uh, they, he saw the great potential that people had for the Lord. And so this was an individual like that. He, he sensed even sometimes when people had particular needs in their lives. And he wanted to encourage them as uh, maybe they needed some extra help. And I think the special trait about this individual that really kind of inspired his name, that gave him that extra, that really made him extraordinary, was this man was a world-class encourager. Any of you tonight could think about somebody in your life that has encouraged you? Anybody had any, someone to encourage you in life? I think everybody needs someone. Uh, not only maybe needs an encourager, but might uh, be an encouragement to someone else, like this man we're going to study tonight. And I want you to look here in Acts chapter number four. Now, to give you a little uh, background, when you get to Acts chapter number four, this is, if we understand historically, the book of Acts is a transitional book. It's a time period where it's the first century. Jesus came to establish the church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And, uh, of course, the church that the Lord said that he would build, he's still building. We're a part of that church even today. But this was the beginning of that church. Jesus had called out his disciples, the apostles. There were 12 of them, and 12 multiplied to 120 in the upper room and beyond. And then we see that 120 in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, is called the Day of Pentecost. The Bible records that there were 3,000 people that got saved on the day of Pentecost. So we find that the work of God is continuing, and we see when we get to chapter number 4, and of course chapter 3 and chapter number 4 deal with two of those choice servants of God, Peter and John. And Peter and John were together in chapter 3. They were going into the house of God for the time of prayer. And as they were heading in to the house of God, there was a man lame that was laid there at the gate, the beautiful gate, and he was lame, and he asked an alm, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man walk, began to walk and leap and praise God, and because of that, 
uh, it began to stir up some trouble for these choice servants of God who thought that they had done away with what we would call Christianity. And they bring them before the council and they begin to threaten their lives. And the church, listen, you can't stop the work of God. You, you can, there's been many people that have tried. But Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So we find when you get to chapter number four that the church is growing, it's thriving. And the Bible, look in verse number 32 of chapter four, it says, the multitude of them that believed, I love these words, were of one heart, one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. You know what that means is, is that, that what's mine and your, is yours and what's yours is mine. It wasn't, hey, this is mine, like, the, like little children do. You can't have it. The Bible says they had all things common. Look at verse 33, and it says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What a wonderful verse. The Bible says, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, do you see what's going on here? The leadership of the early church, remember Jesus he, he called out those individuals, those apostles, and then what he did was he began to train them, to teach them, and then Jesus, of course, was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again, and he ascended back to the Father in Acts chapter number 1. The work that he began, the church, the New Testament church, is now in the hands of these 12 men. Of course, one of those 12 is not Judas Iscariot, he is gone. But there had been one appointed to take his place. And so the Bible records that here they are. There's great power on them, the power of God. There's great grace. The Bible says they had all things common. They were in one accord. And, and the Bible says that if anybody had, had a need, if anybody lacked, if they had lands or houses or whatever it was, listen, you didn't have to argue with them and you didn't have to, to, to make people feel bad. They went out and sold what they had. And they brought the proceeds from those sales, and they laid it down at the apostles' feet. Now, they weren't giving it to the apostles. They were giving it to the Lord. But at that time, that was a leadership that God had provided. We do the same thing. We just took, took an offering here at the church. And as we come, we give our tithes. We give our offerings. We give that to the Lord through the local church. That's the same thing that they did. So it's an amazing thing what was going on here, how they, they're bringing, they're trying to make sure that everyone's needs were being met. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, now look what it says in verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, uh, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the Bible mentions in a couple of verses we read prior to this that there were many people that had houses and lands and maybe uh, various things that they owned, and they realized, listen, these are just things. They don't really matter. I mean, I, I've got this RV that's sitting on the side of my house. i got this boat that I use once a year. And there's people of God that have real needs in their lives, and it's ridiculous for me to have something like this. It really doesn't mean as much to me as it did years ago, when I, on, maybe on impulse, or maybe when I had time, or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But they said, listen, there are needs that need to be met. And so I'll tell you what, I'm going to sell that. I'm going I'm to give that to the Lord so that those needs might be met. And then the Bible singles out one individual whose name was Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. It's interesting that God singles him out. God says that he also, like others, had land, and he decided to sell it. And to give the proceeds of that, he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, 
it's interesting when you go into the very next chapter, we're not going to do that tonight for sake of our study, but if you go into the next chapter, there is a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> and Ananias and Sapphira, their intention was not like Barnabas's intention. Their intention was, hey, 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 they're putting names on plaques in the church. We want to get our name on that plaque. We want to be noticed. We want to, you know, we don't want to have somebody overlook us. And so they actually conspired together. And the Bible says that they they lied. And listen, they they weren't lying to Peter. The Bible says they lied to the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is God. See, their intention was all different than Barnabas. But this man Barnabas, he was quite a man. The trait that he had, this extraordinary quality that he had to be an encourager, we see him right here in the book of Acts identified as the son of consolation. Now, the name Joseph is actually a version of the name Joseph. And when you see the name Joseph, it means to add, to increase, or to do again, to add, to increase, or to do again. So when you look at just his name alone, and many times in the Bible you see people's names, and their names oftentimes they mean something, they represent something, they say something about the individual. Barnabas was a man, when you think about Joseph, the version of Joseph, meaning to add, to increase, to do again, he was a man that added value to people's lives. Think about that. He added value to people's lives. Now, the apostles, I mean, his name was Joseph, but it says they surnamed him Barnabas. And the Bible even tells us, we don't have to go dig and study, or it tells us that Barnabas means son of consolation. This was a man that was one who encourages. In other words, that's what he spent his life doing was encouraging other people. Again, I'm thankful for people in my life that have helped me the way Barnabas helped many people to accomplish much in their life. What a powerful testimony that this man had. Now, the truth is, is that his encouragement was more than maybe just, and and there's, there's nothing wrong with this, maybe coming alongside of somebody and giving them a little squeeze on the shoulder, maybe coming alongside of somebody and giving them a high five or maybe even a pep talk. Certainly those things would encourage a person, but Barnabas's encouragement went way beyond something like that. I want you to notice the first thing about this extraordinary encourager was that he noticed the needs around him. You and I need to do the same thing. We need to notice when there are needs around us. I mean, there was a reason that this man sold the land that he had. Now, the Bible would have given us more. Uh, it, it, would have, it would have painted a picture of Barnabas just like it did of Ananias and Sapphira, but the Bible doesn't do that because his heart was in the right place. This is a man that wanted to encourage people. I mean, he, look, Barnabas could not have come on the scene at a better time. I mean, he appears here in the New Testament when the early church was being empowered by the, by the Holy Spirit of God. It was an amazing day. There was a religious feast that had happened in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2 that I mentioned earlier, listen to this verse in verse 41. The day that gladly received his word, the word of God, were baptized. So in other words, they heard the truth. The word of God pierced their hearts. They realized their need to be saved. And the Bible says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. That means they identified with the teachings of Jesus. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I mean, think of that. Can you imagine if Bible Baptist Church grew by 3,000 in one day? Man, where would we put everybody? We'd have to stack you all on top of each other, you know? That's an amazing statement, amazing thing. You ever heard the adage, the little slogan, no pain, no what? Yeah, no pain, no gain. And same thing is true when you think about the church. This is the the church in its infant stages. And certainly that with this growth, there was going to be some strain that was going to happen immediately. There was the, the incredible growth, but with that growth brought about considerable pains. 
most of the people that were there in Jerusalem that had gotten saved, that gladly received the word of God, listen, because of the festival, the feast that was going on in the city of Jerusalem, they decided to stay. Well, listen, hey, if I got, when I got saved, I decided to stay around the church too. I decided, hey, listen, this is a good thing. I want to hang around for a while. I want to learn more about this. That's exactly what they did. But think about that. When they decided to stay in the city, it created a need because these people now were homeless. These people that were there were unemployed. They didn't have a job there in the city. They came to the city for this, this uh, festival time. They were also people that were going to be hungry. Now, remember, they got saved. That means they're members of the church. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They have real needs. They need a place to stay. They, they needed some food to eat. They, they needed to maybe find some work. And many of these things that they had in their life were things that were immediate and serious problems that had to be addressed. But listen, Barnabas, he didn't miss out on a thing because he saw the need that was happening. 3,000 people got saved. Barnabas didn't say, hey, that's, that's pretty good, you know. Remember what the, the apostles did many times? Like one day when Jesus was on this earth and all these people were following him and, and the people were about to faint by the way and Jesus told them, to, you know, and his disciples, they basically said, Lord, send them home. That's what the disciples said. Let them go get their own food. You know, Jesus, it's, it's just you and us. We don't care about those people. Remember what Jesus said? Have them sit down. Jesus fed the multitude. Remember, twice he fed thousands of people, and both times he had many fragments of food left over. As a matter of fact, he ended up with way more after than he had to begin with. Because he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, they distributed it. And listen, anytime you give something to God, God's shovel's much bigger than yours. It's a wonderful thing when you see here how Barnabas saw the need and he had a heart for these new believers. Listen, I, I, I've been real encouraged. I, I know I haven't said this to him. I'm just going to say it publicly. I've been real encouraged by Brother RJ. I love new believers in Christ. You know, he's probably thinking, man, pastor's sick of me. Pastor's probably sick of discipling me and sick of doing this with me. No, man. I'm going to tell you, Brother RJ, you've been encouraging me. I love it when people are hungry. You know, sometimes we get saved and we settle in and we lose that hunger and that thirst. You know, Brother RJ, man, I guarantee you, sometimes I think to myself, I think he'd sit there in discipleship for like six, eight, ten hours. You know, I'm like, RJ, I got to go. I, I, I got an appointment. Oh, really? I said to him a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, we need to go because it's time for soul winning. We went soul winning. We got back and he's like, do you have any more time? Like, I do, but, you know, I got, a, I got some things I got to do. But, but, but I'll be honest with you, I love it. You know, that's the way Barnabas was. Barnabas had a heart for these new believers. They were hurting. Listen, we sometimes go through life, and we rarely, rarely, sincerely uh, ask other people things like, how are you doing? And sometimes we will ask them, hey, how are you? But we don't hang around long enough to hear their answer. You know, it's like, in other words, what we're saying to them is, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, well, I got to go, you know. It shows them that we really don't care. But the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, one of the greatest things you can do is forget about yourself and just think about others. You say, why do you say that, pastor? Because Jesus lived his life for others. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's the way we need to be in our lives. That's the way Barnabas was. That's what made him extraordinary. This wake-up call uh, that I'm talking about tonight that God has for each one of us, it is that you and I, we need to be in tune with, with those that are around us, with the needs that they have. We need to know what those needs are. We need to care, and we need to care enough to encourage them. Look what the Bible says in John 4, 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months... And then cometh harvest, behold, I say unto you, Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look. Hey, the fields are already wide unto harvest. There are people out there, listen, before the night ends, there will be people that will spend eternity in either a place called heaven or a place called hell. And Jesus said, look, do you care? Lift up your eyes and look. See the need. Barnabas saw the need. 
Barnabas noticed the need around him. Extraordinary encouragers like Barnabas have that kind of focus in their lives. They see beyond themselves. See, they remember that we are supposed to care about people more than anything. And an extraordinary encourager sees those needs that other people have. Barnabas was one of those people. He saw the need. But I want you to see a second thing about this quality that he had. See, extraordinary encouragers are also willing to give. They're willing to give. It's, it's one thing to see a need, but it's a totally another thing to roll up your sleeves and do something about it. And that's the way that Barnabas was. He got involved. I mean, once he saw the need, he did something about it. Look back in chapter uh, 4 again, in that last verse of chapter 4. Having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. No one urged, uh, as far as we know from the Word of God, no one urged him to do this. No one manipulated him, made him feel poor about that he had land and other people had needs in their lives. We don't see any of that in the Word of God. We just see that he saw the need and he was willing to give. He had a desire to give to those. Now listen, his desire to give to them, it was based on his knowledge of how God had provided for him. Let me say that again. Because God had been so good to him. He said, listen, God's been good to me. I want to be good to others. And that's what happens in, in a Christian's heart is we realize that God has blessed our lives. And we want to help those that have real needs. See, we, we who know God's provision, we should be willing to give. And there's things that we can give. It's not all about money. We can give our time. Maybe we can give uh, to, to other people around us an ear to listen to them. Maybe we can, from our lips, we can give maybe some kind words, some encouraging words. Maybe it is our resources, but there are things that we can give and why? Because God has been so good to us. When's the last time that you saw somebody that had a genuine need in their lives and you said something like this to them? Let me know if you need anything. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you and you actually meant it. I think sometimes we say that to people hoping that they won't take us up on what we just said. But we should be genuine. Barnabas was. It wasn't, Barnabas didn't just sound that way to people. He really cared. He wanted to do something. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. You know the Old Testament passage where God said to his man, he says, what is that in thine hand? Well, it's just a rod. Listen, Every one of us, God's put something in our hands. God's given us the ability. But oftentimes, we don't see the need, and we're not willing to give. Jesus said in Matthew 25, As much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, notice this word, ye have done it unto me. See, when we, we meet needs of other people, when we're willing to give, we're doing the same thing that Jesus did for us. Jesus gave his life for us. Another meaning of this word encourage means to put courage in something. Kind of interesting because putting courage into someone, it requires giving. You're going to have to give. When we give to those in need, we are helping them because they're discouraged and we're, we're displacing that discouragement with something that is encouraging to them. It's kind of a neat thing. Out in California, at my church out there in California, my pastor tells a story, I've heard it many times, and this uh, past Thursday night, we, we got to go out and eat dinner with a very dear couple that's been out there in ministry. I believe they've been, I think they said they just celebrated 30 years out there. And uh, their names are, are Rick and Kathy Houck. There's nothing really special about the Houks. They're really just simple people. Brother Houck actually was adopted when he was a child. Never really knew his parents. Mrs. Houck is a very sweet lady. And Brother Houck's kind of a, he's kind of a stern German, you know, 
never looks happy. They, sometimes they call him grumpy, you know. But he's, he just, that way on the outside, he's a big teddy bear on the inside, you know. It's kind of like Brother Rogan, you know. And Brother Houck and Mrs. Houck, they were younger some 30 or so years ago. And as he tells, my pastor tells a story, they, he, he and his wife were a very, very young couple that God had led to the Antelope Valley, to the Mojave Desert, to pastor a church that was running 12. They didn't have any money in the bank. The church didn't have any money. They couldn't afford to pay, pay him to be the pastor. But he was led of God to go there. He had two children, two very young children. And they were literally, they, they didn't know what they were, their next meal was going to be. It was day to day. They had no idea. They were, they were sitting by the brook waiting for God to send a raven. And Rick Houck said that the Lord began to impress upon them. And so he and his wife, and they lived a couple hours south, quite a few hours south. In the middle of the night, they found a grocery store that was open. They went there and they went grocery shopping, filled up their car with groceries, drove through the night up to the Antelope Valley and knocked on the door of Paul and Terry Chapel. They opened up the door and there stood Rick and Kathy Houck. All these groceries. You had to know that that encouraged the chapels. That here's a couple that God used them to encourage them. That much needed encouragement. Look what it says in Hebrews 6.10. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Folks, look. I've thought this many times. I wonder where the chapels would be today if the Hawks would not have been like a Barnabas to them. I really believe that my pastor is where he is because of Rick, and, and I believe that they have a special place in his heart because they did what they did. They followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we need to ask God in our own lives to help us to encourage someone. Well, how do we encourage them? By being willing to give. That's what, that's what Barnabas did. Does not the Bible say it's more blessed to give than to receive? There's joy in giving. Now listen, I, the church, I'm not out for your money tonight. I will tell you this, if you want, a, you want a blessing, be willing to give. See the needs of those around you. That's the reason this man was an encourager. Because he saw, he noticed those needs, and secondly, he was willing to give. But thirdly, I noticed that he was an extraordinary encourager because an extraordinary encourager doesn't worry about who gets the credit. It's not about Barnabas tooting his own horn, about him somehow getting his, his name in lights or accolades because of what he did. I wasn't there, but probably what happened after Rick and uh, Kathy Houck gave those groceries to the chapels. I'm sure they hung around for maybe a couple hours, but the truth is that humble couple, they just got back in their car and drove back down to where they lived. You know why? Because they had done what God had prompted them to do. It wasn't about them getting credit. Listen, I've never heard Brother Howe tell that story. Never. Every time I've heard that story, it's come from my pastor talking about how God used them to encourage his family. Barnabas wasn't worried about who's going to get the credit. Barnabas wasn't interesting in making, interested in making a name for himself. You know what Barnabas wanted to do? He wanted to make much of the name of Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. That's what we ought to be. Just talk about Jesus more and more. Barnabas wasn't motivated by selfishness. Matter of fact, when you study it, we'll look here in just a second, Barnabas was very much interested in working together in partnership with a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> we all know who that rascal is, right? Interesting how, even with his background, that Barnabas was a friend to a man like that. 
Sometimes we look at people and we think, nah, got too many piercings, doesn't dress like I do, doesn't walk the way I, you know, whatever it is. I'll never forget when, a, when my pastor's now son-in-law walked through the door of the back of the auditorium at, our, at my home church and he walked through the door, his hair was almost down to his belt or about halfway down his back, he was wearing a leather jacket. People in our own church never even walked over to say hi to him. Can I tell you, if you're a church member tonight, you want to be an encouragement in a small way, but a big way to someone. When someone walks through the door and they've never been here before, make yourself a committee of one to walk over to them and say, hey, how you doing? My name's Dane. What's your name? Glad you're here tonight. Do you remember what it was like when you first walked through the door of the church house? It's always an encouragement. Listen, I've been to churches just like ours, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, non-charismatic, you know, listen, you, you, you put whatever adjectives you want there, but I've walked into churches just like this in the United States of America not too many years ago, and I walk in and not one person talks to me, and I'm thinking, do I have leprosy? But boy, you just send, doesn't matter if it's a man, a woman, or a teenager. If somebody comes up to me and says hi to me and shakes my hand, that encourages me. That's the way Barnabas was. Barnabas played an important role in helping Paul. This man became a new creature in Christ. I mean, listen, God can save to the uttermost. And here's Saul on his way to Damascus because he's going to go carry out his dirty, dastardly deeds to grab more Christians, Bible-believing Christians, and put them in prison, maybe eventually take their lives. But God saved his old wretched soul. I love that passage. Matter of fact, I think Paul loved it more than I did because it's recorded three times in the book of Acts. I think it would have been recorded if Paul could have said to, to the Lord, hey, listen, can I put it in there a couple more times? By the way, you should never get tired of telling your testimony to people, how God saved you. Maybe you didn't see a light, and maybe God didn't take your eyesight, but listen, God saved you. You were on your way to a Christless eternity you were going to burn forever in a place called hell, and God rescued you. He picked you up out of a horrible pit, set your feet upon a rock, and established your goings, and you ought to tell people about that. That ought to encourage you to tell others about Jesus, what he's done for you. Paul's reputation for Christ, it wasn't good. Listen to his own words in 1 Timothy 1.13. This is what Paul writes, and God allowed him to pen these words. He said, who was before a blasphemer? and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, when Paul got saved, listen, it doesn't, I easily could be the same way. I can understand why these people, these Christians in, in the city were a little hesitant to, to wrap their arms around him and say, hey, listen, remember Ananias, how, how the Lord came to him and said, listen, I want you to go see. And he's like, Lord, I've heard about this guy. I mean, seriously, it's not soul winning day. Can't you send somebody else? And the Lord says, listen, I want you to go, and I want you to be an encouragement to him. And I love the passage there in the book of Acts where he calls him Brother Saul. You know what that means? He realized that God did change him, changed him from the inside out. And we find here that, that this individual, he got gloriously saved. And the Bible says in Acts 9, look at verse 26, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself. He wanted to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, what's going to happen in a situation like that? They're going to shun him. They don't want nothing to do with him. But listen, aren't you glad that there was one person that vouched for his new conversion? And guess who that person was? Barnabas. See, here's all the disciples saying, listen, we, we, you know, and this is the way I would have been. He's just trying to infiltrate us to find out who we are so that he can then gather us all up and throw us in prison. And Barnabas stands up and he says, listen, he's on our side. I know he used to be against the things of God, but he's been changed. 
God changed him. Look at the verse there, the next verse, verse 27. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Here's this man heading to Damascus to, to, to arrest Christians and now he's preaching Jesus in the streets of Damascus. <laughs> Barnabas stands up and listen because of Barnabas Paul's ministry got off the ground because of Barnabas because of the encouragement that Barnabas had listen from the very beginning of, of Paul's conversion there was Barnabas there influencing him his life the church in Jerusalem it continued to grow people continued to get saved uh, this this thing that we call Christianity it was spreading people were believing on the Lord Jesus Christ Many were coming to Christ, and one of those cities that, that people were getting in, saved in was called the city in Antioch. Now, Jerusalem had been the big center of Christianity, but this new city known as Antioch, people were getting saved there. People were believing on the Lord. Look what it says in Acts 11 and verse 23. Because the Bible says that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to this this new location, Antioch, to really go kind of see what was going on, see the situation there. And look at this. It says, who when he came, Barnabas, and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And look at the word. He exhorted them all. You know what that means? He encouraged them. He said, hey, listen, this is a wonderful thing. People are not only getting saved in Jerusalem, but people are getting saved in Antioch. Isn't it a wonderful thing that people can get saved in Pembroke Pines and people can get saved in Thailand and people can get saved in Venezuela and people can get saved. Listen, God can save people anywhere. And that's what was going on. Look, Barnabas goes to Antioch and he, he says, look, this is a great thing. And it says here, with purpose of heart, that he encourages them to cleave unto the Lord. The word cleave means to be stuck or to be glued together. He says, look, now that you're saved, don't wander from God. Start growing in your new relationship with the Lord. And it says here in, the, in verse 24 that he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Why? Because Barnabas was encouraging them. Barnabas was sharing words of encouragement with them. He was helping those in Antioch. And so once again, look, people, just like we looked at a couple chapters back, now we see again, people are being saved, more being added to the church. In other words, growth is happening, and anytime you grow, there's going to be additional needs. Listen, when you're in church, and you get in here, and you're on time, and that's a wonderful thing, I realize the coveted seats are the ones on the aisles. I realize that. But some of you sometimes just need to help the ushers. That while we're having church and people are coming in late, instead of saying, hey, they should have been here earlier, let's just move over. Just move down the row. You say, Pastor, give them my aisle seat? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. In honor, preferring one another. And when I look at this situation here, I see that People were getting saved. There was additional needs. And so what does Barnabas do? He realized that with the need growing, that he was going to need more help. I mean, when I came here, Brother Kenny was here. And I mean, Brother Kenny, you know, he looked me like he was ready for the funny farm when I showed up. You people were wearing him out. And he's like, Brother Keeley, Pastor, please come. Help me. They're about to kill me. No, I'm just kidding. But I came, and guess what? Two can do more than one. In time, God began, I, I talked to the man. I said, listen, we have an opportunity. I said, I'd like to bring an intern in. And some of the men are in here that I talk with. And I said, I'd love, love to bring a young man in. And God began to work things out. And I thought we were going to go one direction. And then, and then lo and behold, the Lord began to open the door. And there's Brother Chris. And I talked to the men. And the men said, let's pray about it. And they came back and said, Pastor, let, let, let's bring him in. And so we brought him in. And we, 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 I told Brother Chris, I said, listen, I'd love to be able to promise you more. I said, just a type of internship. 
I said, don't feel like you got to walk around on eggshells. But I said, you know, I, I really believe God's doing something here. We're seeing some growth in the church. And I said, I don't know where to lead. I just don't want to promise you something that I can't keep. And he, Brother Chris was here about four or five months. And the men said to me in the meeting, they said, listen, Pastor, you know, God's been blessing and using Brother Chris and Miss Abby. And uh, we, we just think the Lord brought them here. Let's bring them on full time. It was a faith step. But think about this. Three can do more than two. Folks, look, Barnabas saw that there was additional needs there. And, and listen, when he thought about, okay, there's more people coming, there's more needs, I need somebody to help, Barnabas thought, now, who can I get? I know. And the first person he thought of was Paul. Look at the Bible says in Acts 11, verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus. For to seek Saul, and when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called what? Christians first in what city? Yeah, not in Jerusalem. The Bible says that in Antioch, they were first called Christians. So this, this dynamic duo now of Barnabas and Paul are now serving the God in the city of Antioch. They're helping these people. They're teaching them. They're discipling them. They stayed there until they received another mission from God. Look what it says in Acts 13 and verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord, that's talking about in the city of Antioch, and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me. Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, by the way, think about this. They were called by God out of the church. See, I still believe that God calls people from his church. And that's exactly what happens here is Barnabas and Paul, the Holy Ghost said, separate. So they begin their missionary journeys. Now, as you follow their missionary journeys, and they had some wonderful times as they went out, they began to preach Jesus to those that they came into contact with. People were believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. There were churches being established. Like, for instance, when you look in your Bible, we call them books of the Bible, but to the church, to the saints in Rome, the book of Romans, to those in Colossae, the book of Colossians, to those in Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians. To those saints in Philippi, the book of Philippians. To those in Ephesians, those in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, and on and on and on. We call those church epistles. God used this, this tandem uh, group here of Barnabas and Paul to do the work of God. There was a partnership there, but somewhere along the way, that partnership changed a little bit. Now, don't miss this point. Because up to this point, remember... Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. He was being led by God. And then you have Saul of Tarsus, who got saved, who became Paul, the apostle. And remember, there were situations where Barnabas says, hey, look, he's saved now. He's one of us. And so he went and got Paul and brought him. And the two of them together in Antioch are teaching and they're, they're encouraging people. Uh, Paul is, Paul's learning under Barnabas how to encourage people because guess what Paul didn't know how to do that Paul was doing everything to discourage people instead of encourage people so here's what happens is God separates them but something changed in that partnership because notice in Acts 13 and verse 43 notice the order the Bible says now when the congregation was broken up many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed who Paul and, notice it doesn't say Barnabas and Paul. Up to this point, it had been Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But now the Bible says that they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. You know what that means? Paul had grown in his prominence. Why? Because thanks to the influence of Barnabas in his life, the encouragement that Barnabas gave him from the beginning. Now, you know what you don't see in the Bible in the life of Barnabas? You don't see Barnabas reacting jealously 
Because now Paul is being recognized more than he is. You know why? Because that wasn't Barnabas' role. Barnabas was an encouragement. He didn't care who got the credit. He just lived to encourage everyone that he came into contact with. That was his life. Uh, He knew the ultimate credit and the glory belonged ultimately to God. Barnabas was just thankful to have a part in the work of God. Remember what I said earlier? That's all I want to do is serve the Lord. That was Barnabas' heart. Zig Ziglar said, gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. You know the problem in the day we're living in? People aren't grateful. You know, we went out to eat a couple times while we were out there, and every time the waitress brought something, whether it was water or my food, every time I said, thank you. And every time I said it, the waitresses would always kind of look at me real funny. Because you know why? They don't ever hear it. When was the last time you saw a police officer and you said to the officer, thank you for serving? See, everybody's against police officers now. You know why? Because everybody's got a camera, everybody's got a phone on, a camera on their phone, and they catch a few police officers, just like all the rest of us, being knuckleheads. And so they throw all police officers under the bus. Hey, there's a lot of good law enforcement out there. And listen, we need to be thankful for all things. We need to have a spirit of gratitude in our lives. Gratitude helps to combat our pride. Gratitude keeps us from looking for other ways. We we look for other ways. We want to be a blessing to others. Look, can I ask you a question tonight? Who are you encouraging? I mean, seriously. I'm not doing Roman with your son, doing it to say, hey, look, look what I've done for RJ. I just want to encourage him. I know what he's been through. Listen, we ought to take, we, we ought to, in our, in our lives, understand as it says in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, build one another up, even as also ye do. Remember, again, what happened? Barnabas was that way, and then he, he took Paul under his wing. Well, guess what Paul then started to do? He started to encourage other people. By the way, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it's the word of God, but guess who God used to pen those words? Paul. Paul wrote those words, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. You know, there's people in my life that God has used to encourage me. I want to show you a few of these individuals. Show the first picture there. Hello, wake up. What are you doing? No pictures? Oh, man. I had some pictures that I wanted to show you. They deleted them. I don't know what they did with them. You know, the first person that I had was my pastor. My pastor's been an encouragement to me. I saw him while we were out there. He's, he had so much going on. They just had a 29-year-old man young man that grew up in the church, he was California Highway Patrol, had cancer, has two, two sons and his wife's seven months pregnant with their first girl. Nobody understands why. And he was doing that funeral on Thursday, the, the morning after we got out there. And my pastor still took the time to come see me. Before he got ready to leave to go to El Salvador to to encourage one of our graduates that I actually had the chance and the privilege to teach. He's been in El Salvador with his wife for 10 years, serving God, Christian school there, winning people to Christ there in El Salvador. My pastor got on a plane late at night, flew through the night, he and his wife. Why would they do that to encourage that young couple? People are trying to get out of El Salvador, and Brother Adam and Esther, they went there to stay to see people saved in a country called El Salvador. But before he left, he said, Brother Keeley, I want to see you before you go. Before I leave and before I fly out, I want to see you. He's encouraged me. I think about a man that stood in our pulpit here a couple times that is is one of the greatest preachers that I've ever known, knows more scripture than any person that's preaching the word of God today, Dr. John Gedge. What an encouragement he's been to me. I think of another man that I saw while I was out there, took us out to eat, Dr. Mark Rasmussen, did our couples retreat this past year. He is a modern day Barnabas. He's done nothing but encourage me. 
from the first time I met him in Bible college, he's encouraged me. The last of those pictures was the man God used first in my life. That man was my pastor. I called him preacher. Ken DeBose. Just a simple, ordinary guy from Arkansas. God used him to get a hold of my heart, to show me my need of a Savior. I was saved under his ministry. He baptized me. He married my wife and myself. And when God called me to preach, it was there under his ministry. When I had my ordination, I went back to my home church from the state of Maryland so that my pastor, my preacher, could be there. He's encouraged me. I hope there's someone in your life that has meant that to you, that's encouraged you. But I'll tell you this, you know what I want to do? Because I've received such encouragement, is I want to spend my life encouraging other people. And the greatest encouragement I've gotten from anyone has been the encouragement I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't take nothing for me to stand up and preach about Jesus because there are so many wonderful things that I can talk about. Ways that he has encouraged me to live a better life, to be a better person. I hope the Lord has been an encouragement to you. When I think about these qualities that Barnabas had, he had this extraordinary quality of encouragement. You know why? Because he saw the needs of those around him. He was willing to give, and he could care less who got the credit. He was just happy being an encourager. And I hope in some small way that God's used this man in your life tonight the way he used him in my life, just to encourage me to go on for God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, thank you again for this evening. Lord, I thank you for Barnabas. I thank you for many Barnabases that I've known in my life. Lord, I'm thankful for all of these individuals and even many others that I didn't mention tonight. And I think of some here in our church. They may not know it, but they encourage me. Many of them, Lord, it's just, just simple things. Them being here tonight's an encouragement. Just the fellowship that we have, the common bond that we have in Christ. May we edify one another. May we encourage one another. Lord, may we look for others that are hurting, that need someone to encourage them. Bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand?